0: Man, if you're at home and you are, uh, you're singing along with us, that, that is so good, and I know that's so hard. Um, I, at least I know my community group, they get together and they're sitting on the Philippe's porch, and the kids are probably jumping on the trampoline and sweating like sweaty little yetis if yetis sweat, and I bet they smell bad when yetis sweat. But anyway, um, if y'all are worshiping from there or wherever you are this morning, that's good. If you can do that there, man, we can't wait for you to come back and do it here. So, we are back. I hope nobody showed up last Sunday here in person for worship because we, we took a week off. We're probably going to take one week off uh, each month until we can kind of all be back together to kind of give our volunteers a break because it's, it's a small crew doing a lot of work right now. Um, and so we're back this week, uh, and we're back in our kind of our conversation series. Not kind of, we are. We're back in our conversation series, and if you haven't been around for that, Uh, The first two were a little bit different from today, Um, still the same idea of we're looking at people that actually had conversations with Jesus, but I'll go ahead and tell you the the first two that we did, they ended well, like they ended on an up note, like somebody came, they had a, a conversation with Jesus, they left, things were good, you know, like Bartimaeus, we looked, he left, he followed Jesus on the way, today... Like I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Today's not like that. Today, like it doesn't end. It, like it ends good for us because it teaches us something. There's a warning there. There's some instruction there. There's a there's a huge lesson about, man, what it means to know Jesus. But for the particular guy in the story, we don't know anything else about. But if we if all we know is what we see in this story, like it's just not a beautiful ending like we're used to. But there's a lot that we can learn from it. Um, let me throw this out there before we jump in there. So we have a we kind of have been praying about ways to. Love the teachers well, like in our city, and we have several schools that are kind of N01 or Touch01, 29601, that's kind of the zip code, and if you haven't been around us long, like we consider the stingray of accountability, which is the shape of 29601 for the, to be the area that we're accountable for. Like we can't take care of the whole city because we're a church of 150, you know, when everybody shows up, so we can't do everything, but we look at a couple areas in the city, we say we're going to take ownership here uh, do our best to love them here, you know, take the gospel there, do all that. And so one of the ways just, you know, I, I talked about in the video last week, I rarely use the phrase that God spoke to me, but one of the things that just I feel like he's impressed upon me is, man, our best way to do that is just to adopt a couple classrooms. And so, like, we're going to start with adopting one classroom at Greenville High School, one at A.J. Wittenberg, and one at Legacy Charter. And basically it's going to be us caring for that teacher in this crazy time for the teachers because if, if you're not a parent, you don't really get... What's going on yet, but it's, it's about to be four times the work for teachers with the same amount of pay and the same hours in the day, and so life's about to get wackadoo, and it's already there, and so we just want to be able to walk into a teacher's classroom, not even physically yet, and just say, look, we love you, we appreciate what you're doing, what can we do to make your life better, uh, because we love you, and so Uh, There'll be opportunities to do some things like that. Originally, you know, initially we're going to do it as a church. We're going to say, here are the three classrooms that we're going to do it. But ultimately, my goal and our desire would be to take each one of those classrooms and hand it off to a community group and say, hey, this is yours. Love this classroom well. And we'll kind of build the plane as we fly, figure that out, what that looks like, how we serve them best. Um, And so stay tuned for more information on that. And again, when we make the call for needs and stuff, let's be quick. Let's just take care of it. So if you have your Bibles today, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Thank you, Debon, for jumping in over there. That's, that's uh, David Bonner's rap name is d um, Thanks for jumping. It's not. But, I mean, that, if it was, if you were rapping again, that would be the name I'd give you, Debon. Um, and so uh, he's jumping in and running slides this morning. I'll try, to, I'll try not to be so crazy so you can hang with me. But Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Uh, go ahead and turn there or look on the screen. Um, We're going to read a couple verses. I'm not going to read all the way through everything. Um, And like I said, today's just a a different story. Like, the beautiful ending is not there. The the dove's being released at the end. The hallelujah chorus is not playing when we wrap this thing up today. Um, But again, it's super, super applicable for us. So we'll start in verse 16, chapter 19, verse 16. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Um, And so this is what we know. What we know or what we're going to figure out about this guy is that uh, all three of the synoptic gospels include this story, pretty much, pretty close, verbatim, word for word kind of a thing. Matthew adds a couple extra details or just some extra things that were exchanged, Um, and so that's the reason we're looking at that. But if you want to look at Mark, it's in chapter 10, and Luke is in chapter 18, but they're all very, very similar. And so what all of these things are going to conclude is this was a young dude, and he was a, a guy of means. And he was also probably not just young and wealthy, but he was young, wealthy, and had a lot of responsibility. And so some some passages are going to call him a rich young man, others are going to say a rich young ruler, but either way, he had like synagogue responsibilities, he had money, and he was also young. So pretty odd for that to happen. So most likely, uh, he was a man of means because his dad was a man of means. It would be unlikely for someone that was called young in scripture, who was probably a teenager, to have made a lot of money business-wise, so it was probably left to him. So he probably grew up as a child of means, he's now a young man of means, and so he comes up to Jesus, and it says he came up to him, and he said, teacher, or rabbi, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And in verse 17, this is Jesus' beginning of his response. Again, here's the exchange, the conversation. And he said to him, he being Jesus, verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, and then he said, if you would enter life, or if you would desire eternal life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Now, automatically, what I can go ahead and say is this, like if we're just reading this without understanding what's going on and where this guy is, then we're going to read this and we're going to say, man, this is kind of contrary to everything else that we've heard about the gospel. But understand what the guy asks. Let's pay attention to his words if we're looking at a conversation. He walks up and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And so, not a, not a bad question. Like, really, not a bad question. Like, I would even wager to bet that a large, well, man, I, I, would, I would say that there are a lot of Christ followers now that came out of the evangelical church that were posed this similar question to them, or they asked this similar question. It may have occurred at the end of a service and an invitation, but it, it may have even occurred at, a, it occurred at a youth service in which the question was asked, if you died tonight, where would you go? You know, kind of a thing. Now, I'll be honest, I've got a lot of contention with scaring people out of hell into heaven as a means of getting people towards Jesus, but I have no doubt, I have no doubt that God can use anything, and he's used that question or that line of thinking to bring people to himself, like I have no doubt. And so it's not a bad question necessarily for him to come up and say, "Uh, teacher, guy that I recognize that has wisdom, uh, what deed, what thing, good thing must I do to have eternal life? So not a bad question. But Jesus does, he, he's Jesus, and so he hears a couple things that are going on, he sees where the guy is, and so already the guy's asking, what must I do? What thing, what, what good thing must I do? And so we're going we're gonna to confront a couple of those things. And so Jesus kind of turns it on him and he says, well, what are, you, what are you asking about good? He's like, there's only one good, so he's taking his mind off works and he's already pointing him towards God. But then he says this, he said, if you would enter life, just, just keep the commandments. That's all. Just keep the commandments. And so, it's it's really funny, because even getting ready for this, there was a study that came out uh, that was published at the beginning of this month. Uh, it was completed by Arizona Christian University, and they they interviewed three thousand people, Christ professing three thousand people. So not a random not a random population, but three thousand people that claim to be Christians, and they asked them like, a they started off, do you believe in heaven or hell? Yes, but most of them believed in heaven or hell, large majority. Um, and then they ask, a major- they ask them, so where do you think you're going if you're a professing Christian? And a large majority said, well, I'm going to heaven. And then they said, why are you getting there? How are you getting there? This is the crazy part. 52% of the 3,000 professing Christians said, well, I've, I've done enough. Or I've, I've done X, Y, Z. I've done enough. It was only 48% that made the claim that it's only by Jesus that I get to heaven. So under half of 3,000 Christ-professing people. Let's go on. He said, so just keep the commandments, verse 18, and then here's the response of the rich young ruler. He says, well, which ones? Which ones? Jesus wasn't clear enough. He just said, you know, if, if you want to enter life and you're asking me what good deed you must do, just, just keep the commandments. By the way, there's, an, you know, there's this hidden all word in there, keep all the commandments, but the rich young ruler, he's like, well, which, which, which ones? Which ones do should I keep? And Jesus said, well, you know, and these are the ones that a good Jewish boy would have heard every single day in the synagogue and in the temple. Uh, you, you shall not murder, starting in, in the second half of verse 18. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness or lie. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting the ones that Jesus picks out and the ones that he leaves out. Because obviously Jesus can read a room far better than we can. Like he can read a circumstance, he can read a heart, he can read all those things way better than we can. But, but Jesus left out some very important ones because obviously, like if we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was asked before some, a question that's similar. He's like, hey, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus rattled off quickly the Shema, the Shema Yisrael, or hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, love him and love him only with everything you got. And love your neighbors yourself, like it. But he didn't even include that there, there because the guy was coming from a different place, because he's already asking, well, you know, if, if I need to keep the commandments in order to get into heaven, which, which ones, Jesus, which, which ones? So he lists a couple. And so the young man comes back in verse 20, and he says, uh, yeah, all of these I've done. I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I honor my father and mother. I haven't lied. I've been keeping these since I was a kid. One of the synoptics even says, yes, I've been doing these since I was a child. And then the young man said to him, all of these I've kept, but what do I lack? He even knew, like even, even this guy, like he's like, man, uh, yeah, I've done all of that. I've been doing all of that since I was a kid. But I, in me, I still feel that there's something really missing. Like there's still this, this glaring weakness. There's still this bright spot that's being shined on. I can't put my finger on it, but I know it's there. I just, what is it? What do I lack? What am I missing? What is it? Ah. Uh. And see, the next part gets a little bit confusing because I, I think we need to hear with, with two sets of ears in the next part because we need to hear what was being told to this guy, and but we also need to hear what's being told to us because there's some specificity here that's applying to the rich young ruler. We look at all of his titles. We look at all of his stuff, and we need to understand that there were some specific things going on for him, but the specificity may not roll over to us. It may be a different thing in which we'll talk about in just a second. So he's like, okay, well, what do I still lack? And then Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, if you would be perfect, like if you want to be perfect, like if you want to be complete, like perfection and completion, they go hand in hand in the New Testament, kind of the same Greek idea, like totality, complete, perfect. Perfection means not missing anything. He said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then just just come and follow me. Come and follow me. Very similar to what Exactly what the disciples were told, right? The disciples were told, hey, uh, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We saw Bartimaeus, uh, after he was healed, after he just asked that he could recover his sight, that he could see again, he followed Jesus on the way, even though he wasn't told. And then this guy, he says, what do I still lack? And Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then uh, you'll get treasure in heaven, and then just come and follow me. Come and follow me. I think a lot of times we read this passage and we think it's just talking about money. Like, there's going to be a warning towards the end, but we, we read this and we're like, oh, well, that's just telling me I, I don't need to be rich, that rich is bad. Well, rich is not bad, and, and let's be honest, too. Like, if you drove here this morning, if you woke up with air conditioning, if you had a meal this morning, if you had a meal last night, by the world standards, you're already rich. So if that's your fear right there, you're already doomed, okay? Because all of us sitting in here, by world standards, we're, we're pretty doggone wealthy, so anyway, so so what is what is going on? Like what's the what's the heart of this? What's the root of this? What is Jesus seeing that we're not? Man, if it if at any time, at any place, at any junction if we have made being right with God about what we do and the things that we've done or the things that we're capable of Man, we've just gone ahead and we've told Jesus, hey, Jesus, you didn't need to die on the cross because I've got this. You didn't need to live a perfect life because I can do it. Um, You know, all of those sacrifices that you made leaving heaven in which you were sang to as holy, holy, holy all the time, you didn't need to do that because if it's just keeping the law, then yeah, I can do that. But here's the problem. We can't. Like, we can't. Like if the law was supposed to be our Lord, the law would have been called Elohim. It would have been called the Lord. It would have been called our Savior. But the law is not our Lord. But this guy, this guy, he was like, man, if it's just about doing stuff, hey, you know what? I will do whatever it takes. Until Jesus says, well, maybe you need to give up what you love most. Maybe give up what you love most. And what this guy loved most, obviously, was his stuff is money. And it's not that money is bad. Money can be the root of all evil, and there's a warning that we'll talk about, but, but in this guy's case, Jesus was able to look at him, and he knew. The reason he didn't toss out that first thing, you should love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart right away, because the guy would have been like, well, yeah, you know, I, I like him, but I love my money. But Jesus wanted to bring him along and say, yeah, you've done all of these things that you're willing to do, but what about the one thing that, that you're maybe not willing to do? Man, Matt Chandler had a a great quote. Um, I love listening to him from time to time, and and he said this. He said, trying to earn your salvation through good works is just as God-belittling, cross-mocking wickedness as anything on the pagan, dark side of the fence. We tell ourselves, 'I'm I'm a better man than my father was. I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. I'm a good wife. I'm a good mother. I'm a hard worker. I'm involved in the church. But Jesus says, repent. None of those things save you. They do not justify you. And somewhere along the way, we've taken Christianity and we've said, you know what? It's a great religion. But the problem is Jesus didn't come to bring religion. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to kind of put the nail in the coffin of religion because religion doesn't save. The law is not our Lord. Jesus came so that he could be Lord. And it's not about what we do. It's about what he did and what he's done. But we've taken Christianity, this idea that we can't fix ourselves, that we'll never be good enough, but Jesus is. And we've said, you know what? That sounds like a great religion. Let me do these things so that I'll be acceptable. But that, that negates everything. That negates it all. Like if the law could save us, Jesus didn't need to come and die. And so, just hypothetically speaking, like theologically, if we think, well, like hypothetically, if you could be born and never transgress a single iota of the law for your entire life, yes, I believe that you could go to heaven on that merit. But the problem is, it's not possible. When sin came in through original sin and infected the world, even at almost like a DNA genetic level, we are no longer capable of that. It's not possible. Like it's not there. Romans tells us, for all have sinned. All have sinned. All. We'll talk about it all the time in Greek. That word in Greek and in English, it means the same thing. Everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not a single one. The law is not our Lord. It must be Jesus. But see, this guy, he grew up in a system, and it's the reason that Jesus came when and where and how he did. He grew up in the system that he did. He thought about, it's what I do that makes me acceptable. And man, if we've got over half of professing Christ followers walking around thinking the same thing, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. We've got a problem on, on a salvation level for me personally. We've got a problem on the missional level of the church. We have a problem on a grand scale if we think that what I do saves me. We have a huge, huge problem. Because what are we recreating if that's our thought process? If 50 to if, I mean, that number staggers me. How can people sit... And maybe they don't. I don't know. How can people sit in a a Bible-based scripture teaching church that talks about the fact that I'm broken, Jesus fixes, and only Jesus fixes, and they can walk out thinking that they can be good enough to earn what Jesus died for? How How can we possibly entreat that and bring it into our lives and then reproduce that in other people? It's a big problem. Man, I love that idea of just... Oh. I love it and hate it, the idea that we have turned something right into a system to such a degree that it's just as wicked as anything pagan or on the dark side of the fence. He said, "If you would be perfect, or if you want to be complete, and if you want to earn it, if you want to earn it, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor. you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Here's the problem. Verse 22, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions or he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of stuff. The problem is Jesus went after the thing that he loved the most. And I I think maybe maybe even we've pitched an incomplete idea of the gospel that Yes, Jesus came to be our Redeemer. He came to be our Savior. But we've left off this part that he came to be our Lord too. Maybe we've left that part off. And I know for years, like I struggled with this idea of what lordship really meant. Like I struggled with, you know, you even go back to like medieval times and you look at the way peasants would refer to their kings and their rulers as lord and what that meant. And for them, what it meant is, hey, you know, everything I have is yours. I don't really own anything and, and I'm scared to death of you. But Jesus, on the other hand, came to be a good shepherd, a good lord, like a good master kind of a thing. And so what does it mean when we, we yield to him as lord? It means that, you know what, I, I do, like I'm choosing you over everything. I'm choosing you over everything else, knowing that you're going to take care of me, knowing that you're going to provide for me, knowing that the Romans 8 idea of God is working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, but that way that we lean into him not just as a a good religious figure or a good teacher or a good moral person, but like as Lord, like capital L Lord, everything I have is yours. I want to love you more than anything else, even my stuff. And I know it seems so subtle because the, the issue is you take a, a moral, Christ-professing person that is trying to save themselves on good works, and then you take someone who is sold out, living for Jesus. The problem is on the outside, their lives are going to look pretty similar you know this person's working their tail off to earn their salvation this person's working their rear end off because they realize they're living in response to Jesus graciously bestowing upon them salvation and their lives on the outside are going to look pretty similar but the problem is at the heart of it they're completely different they're completely different one is wearing themselves out with religion and one is being renewed day by day by grace through faith because Jesus is saving them daily and it's completely different. And this person, when they try to go and, and lead someone towards that, man, they're leading someone straight to hell. And this person over here, they get to lead someone towards the grace that they've experienced. Look the same, but at the heart of it, are completely different. And this guy, this rich young ruler, maybe, maybe he was the most well-thought-of person in the community. Maybe he was so good, except he didn't really want to let go of that money. He didn't really want to give to the poor because that's what Jesus told him to do. He said, by the way, take everything that you have and, like, give it away to the poor. And then come and follow me. It wasn't the come and follow him part that that put a hitch in his giddy-up. No, it was the the fact that Jesus asked him to give away all of his stuff, the things that he loved the most. Man, James 2.10, really neat passage. I think I've got that up there you can find it, toss it. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. The, the issue is, even with his question, you know, when Jesus said, hey, just, just keep the commandments, when he said, which one? You know, Jesus was pretty much already pointing out, you know, if, if you want to be perfect, understand, you don't get to pick and choose. You got to keep them all. I mean, just hypothetically, start with the, the Ten Commandments, like the basis, like the base law. Start with those ten. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Don't have any idols before me. You know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And then go down to the the horizontal exchange of the Ten Commandments. Like, just imagine, has there been a single day in your life, a single day in my life in which I haven't botched one of those up? And so imagine, like, if we're going to be accountable to the whole law as a means to salvation, having to keep all of those ten and everything that comes out of it, like every single day of our life, we, we have to be objective enough to be able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not capable of doing that. There's no way. Maybe I can pick a couple. Like, I haven't lied to my parents today. Um, like, I haven't, I haven't lied to anybody else today. I haven't wanted what my neighbor has today. Like, I've, I, haven't, I haven't taken the Lord's name in vain today. Like that, yeah, maybe, maybe you have a day in the whole expanse of your life. Maybe a day. But if we're being honest, man, that's a lose-lose situation. And man, the fact that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we could not, he died the sinner's death that we were incapable of, and then he kicked death in the teeth and rose from the grave, tells me enough that I can't do it. You can't do it. But he can. And he has. And so, man, man, the difficult part about this rich young ruler is he heard it and he saw it and he just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, I would love to think, like, we don't know. I, I, we don't know what happened, but I, I would love to think that maybe this guy walked away, the words were just kind of steeping like, like tea in his brain and just percolating or whatever other words we can use for coffee and tea because everybody loves coffee and tea. Whatever those words are, like, they were, they were sitting on him. Brewing, there's another one. And, and maybe at the, the culmination of the cross, and, and maybe even at the resurrection, maybe he was a bystander and could see it all, and maybe a light went off and he was like, oh, love you more than everything. I get it. I can do that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I would love to think that he did, because I would love to think an encounter like this with Jesus, when he supernaturally looks at the thing that you love the most, and he points it out, and he confronts it, I would love to think that there's just the echoes and the ripples of that really have eternal significance. I don't know. Maybe it did. But I know the disciples saw it, and they were confused. And in verse 23, now this is the part, that, that there was the warning there, but he comes and gives us something beautiful. He says, and, and Jesus says to his disciples in verse 23, Truly I say to you, uh, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? Like, I, I do think, like, there's a great warning there. There's a great warning there, especially, in, and I know... I'm not anti-American. I love the fact that I was born here. I can worship freely. My kids can. Um, I love the fact that that my son is playing Minecraft this week and he He goes on Minecraft, and he builds the tomb of Jesus in Minecraft, which I thought was, man, that's incredibly creative, and I didn't teach you to do that, and that's really funny. And he said, Jesus is standing on the table. Instead of laying down, I couldn't make him lay down. Like, I love the fact that my child has been exposed to such a degree to the gospel and the story of Jesus that he builds a tomb of Jesus on Minecraft and then sets fireworks off in Minecraft when Jesus raised from the dead. Don't know where it came from, but I'm like, man, that's really good, buddy. Um, I love that. But at the same time, I feel like we have to hear this warning we do really, really need to hear this warning because I already threw it out there. Like if you had three meals yesterday, maybe you skipped two because you're doing intermittent fasting, but that was your choice. Uh, you, you have a car that you can drive. You have air conditioning. You have heat. You have a bed. We're, we're wealthy. This warning is for all of us. Like we're wealthy. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's like, understand, man, it is incredibly difficult for someone with great wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And it's not because of the wealth keeps us away there, but it's because it's, it's so enticing and it's easy to draw our affections and make us think that stuff is primary, that stuff is the end and the be-all. It's, it's all of that. And Jesus is looking. He's like, man, just understand, it's, it's really hard. Now, he's talking to a bunch of poor fishermen, a tax collector who probably was fairly wealthy at one point, but it looks like he gave it away. But the rest of them, they were pretty podunk poor. But I think he's talking to us too and letting us understand, like even in other words, when he told other people you can't serve God and stuff or God and mammon or God and money, like I think we need to understand, man, stuff is deceitful. It's not that it's bad. It only becomes bad when we're posed with the question of, hey, would you go and give all of this away because I ask you to and come and follow me? If we say I can't, we got a problem. We got a problem. Because we've turned Jesus into a system. We haven't allowed him to be Lord. We've let this stuff over here be our Lord. And Jesus is just warning the disciples. He's warning us. He's like, look, it's hard. Not impossible, but it's hard. And even his disciples, they were like, well, well, who then can be saved? Because everybody's got stuff. Even the poorest person has stuff. And Jesus throws this out there in verse 26, and this is the verse we'll end with. He said, but Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Again, going back to the idea that even on my best day, I can't fix my mess. Even on my best day, even when I've kept four out of the ten, just basic ten commandments, not good enough. The hole that I've dug with even one sin is too deep for me to climb out of. Even one by comparison to a holy, holy God. But through man, impossible. But with Jesus, completely doable. Completely doable. So here are a couple questions. Here are a few questions that I want to ask. Just, and I'm not even going to give you application and tell you what to do, but I do want us to have an, kind of a dialogue between us and God. The first is this. Man, what are we after? Are we after heaven or are we after a relationship? Like what's the goal? If you're listening this morning, if, if you're on in TV land or whatever that looks like, what's your goal? Is it heaven or is it a relationship? Because every other religion says, do this, do this, do this, so that you'll go to this place. By the way, Jesus didn't say that. He says, look, I'm going before you to prepare a place for you, and it's going to be there, but that's not the goal. Like, the goal of all of this is not that we get out of, like, hell and get into heaven. The goal is that we get out of a life in which we're trapped and lorded over by sin and which we can yield over to Jesus who wants to lord over us and actually be a good master and a good father and a good, all of those things, like to get out of sin, to get into God. Like, that's the goal. And it it, it entails a relationship, like a walking, talking, breathing, living, active, living relationship. So are you after heaven or are you after a relationship? First question. Because by the way, this guy came and he didn't ask a bad question, but just maybe an incomplete understanding. Second question is this, and I thought about it when John brought in his eggs. Um, What basket are your eggs in? Like, I know. I'm a southern guy, so I have these euphemisms that don't make any sense. But but what basket are your eggs in? Are are you putting your eggs in a basket of you can be good enough, you can do enough, uh, you can live right enough, or is Jesus the basket? And I'll go ahead and give it away. Jesus has to be the basket. He's got to be. What basket are your eggs in? And then, man... And then here's the one that probably stings a little bit. If you were this guy, kind of imagination station, go back, and if you were this guy and you had just kind of the simple understanding that he had of of what the goal was, and you went to Jesus and you said the same thing he did Hey, teacher, um, what must I do? What must I do? Uh, What would be that last thing that he would tell you to do? Because for this guy, it was his money, it was, it was his stuff man, maybe for you it's something else. Maybe for you it's something else. And I'm not telling us that we need to be religious. I'm not telling us that we can keep the whole law. But I think even for believers this is applicable because even after coming to Jesus, I think that there are things that will creep in and they will try to take that Lord title away from Jesus. And they're probably all good things, which is the scary part. They're probably all good things. Man, maybe it could be a job. Maybe it could be position. Maybe it could be family. Man, how is it that family and kids can be Lord? Really easy. Really easy. Maybe it could even be marriage. Like, are you, are you leaning, are you putting your eggs in a basket to, to make you right with God? Maybe it's not the law, but maybe it's a marriage, or, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's a job, or maybe, whatever it may be. What is it that Jesus would ask you to do that would almost tempt you to say, ah, ah, I don't know that I can do that? What would that thing be? Because I think if we have an answer for that... Um, it's not that you're in danger of losing your salvation, but man, you're in a place in which you're able to give that away and say, God, take that, do with it, whatever you want. I just want to be yours. I just want to trust in you and what you have. Mm. Maybe it didn't end well for him. We don't know. I'd love to think that it did. I, I, I don't know. But I think for us, it serves as an amazing, just an amazing reminder. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. And by done, I mean done to completion, to fullness. We are not waiting on a saving work from Jesus. He's already done everything that he needs to do in order for us to be made right with God eternally. And yes, we will get to be in heaven and new earth with God forever. But in the meantime, the payout is that sin is no longer our master. The law is not our Lord, but Jesus can be. Um, this week, if you're just kind of stewing on that and you don't know what to do with it, um, man, I'd love to put on a mask and meet you, or not mask and meet you. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you wherever. Um, and I know that I know that John would, and, and I know that Neil would, and I know that our wives would be more than happy, and several community group leaders would be more than happy to meet you um, wherever. And just... Man, talk to you about what it means for Jesus to really be Lord, not just not a good, not just a good teacher, not just a moral authority, but like really, capital L Lord. What does that look like? Let me pray, and we're going to worship a little more. God, I love you. Um, I thank you for today. I thank you for um, like a difficult word, like for for this guy. For all we know, man, just just sad to see somebody drop their head and walk away and just say, "I can't do it." God, I pray that wouldn't be us. I pray that if anyone is listening today and they're they're contemplating the idea of uh, what am I feeling, what do I do with this? God, I pray that when you ask for them to follow you, they can just say, "Okay, yes, I'll do that." God, as believers who have professed you as Savior, who have professed you as Lord, who have abandoned sin in favor of you, God, I pray that on, on a daily basis. Uh, We could just take stock of our life and make sure that nothing's trying to steal that Lord title from you, to take it away. That we could be sincerely and unapologetically servants of the one true King and accept all the ramifications that come as a result. God, I thank you for a city that needs you. I thank you that you've placed us here to serve you, to love you, and to not reproduce religious people, but to see you make disciples. God, I pray you'd continue just to drive us towards relationship with people in which we get to share truth, ultimate truth with people, um, and love them and see them grow into followers of you. God, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.